Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Lama. I am one of the student ministers here. But before we dig into God's word, how about we pray? God, our Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. And we thank you that you are a God who speaks and you are a God who moves in amazing ways. I pray that you might do that this morning, that you might speak to us through chapter 4 and that you might also move us in our hearts to, to really understand what it is that you're communicating to your people and to also understand how we might apply this to the way that we live uh, as, uh, as Christians in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ooh. Now, uh, some of you might know that I am a big uh, movie fan. I do enjoy movies. And I think as I've gotten older, I, I've watched movies not so much for the, for the characters that are in it, but more because of the direct directing, like the style of directing. Right? And I, I think, especially when you have these creative directors who all of a sudden they've got a running narrative, and then suddenly they'll just cut the scene, and then they take you to another scene completely different, completely different, and then they, it's, it's up to the audience now to try and figure out what, what is going on here? What is the connection between this scene and the next scene? Well, that's kind of what we've got going on here in Two Kings. You see, when we think about what we've covered so far, even going back as far as One Kings, we see that from the last three chapters of 1 Kings and the first three chapters of 2 Kings, it's basically just been high-octane action. Right? Battles between Ahab and Ben-Hadad, then there's the battle for Ramoth-Gilead, and then Elijah gets taken up with the chariot of fire, then another battle with the uncanny alliance of Joram, Jehoshaphat, and the Edomite king as they fight Moab, and then, of course, there's that disturbing sacrifice of the Moabite king's son. It's full-on. But then now as the camera sort of zooms out, it pans across and then zooms in on these seemingly random people. Right? People, we, most of them don't have names. We only know Elisha. And like, we know very little about them. We're sort of almost asking, is this some kind of commercial break? What's going on here? Right? Well, as we look a little closer, there's actually a real sense of intimacy in how this chapter unfolds. Yes, there are no kings. Yes, there are no queens, no commanders, just regular people. And the story that Jackie just read uh, from chapter 4, so it's actually the second story of four short stories, or four miracles, four miracles rather, within chapter 4. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to go through all of them, but I do want to touch on the other three, just to, just to sort of help us set up our scene for the larger story. So with our first story, so from verse 1 to 7, we have a widow who has basically lost everything. She's lost everything except for her two sons and a measly jar of oil. And then because she's heavy in debt, these creditors are about to come and take her sons too. And so she pleads with, she pleads with Elisha, the man of God, to help her. Well, what does he do? He tells her to gather as many vessels as she could and then just start filling them, filling them up with the oil from her jar. So then she pours, and she pours, and she pours, and it just keeps going until all of these vessels are filled. Right, so now she has this abundance of oil that she's able to sell to cover her debt and still have plenty left over. Right, it's a miracle which is very similar to Elijah's miracle back in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. And then jumping over to story number 3, so verse 38 to 41, Elisha is in Gilgal, and this is during a time of famine. 
Right? So he's with the sons of prophets, and as he's with them, he sort of instructs another servant to go and prepare a meal for them. Now, this servant goes out. Remember, it's a famine time. Food is scarce. And in verse 39, it says that he goes out. He found a wild vine and gathered as many wild goods as his garment would hold. Right? He's not just like plucking. He's just sort of raking everything in, not realizing that this is, these are actually poisonous. Like, this is the kind of guy we do not want contributing to our potluck Sundays, right? <laughs> he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. And so, as the sons of prophet, they're eating, they realize that it's poisonous. They call Elisha the man of God. What does Elisha do? He takes a handful of flour, throws it into the pot, bon appetit. And all of a sudden, the pot becomes nutritious, right? There we go, another miracle. Jumping onto story number four. A gentleman comes to Elisha with... 20 loaves of bread to feed the people. The problem? Well, there are 100 people. Now, when I first read this story, I thought, I thought, well, 20 loaves is actually quite a lot. That could feed, surely that could feed 100. So I counted yesterday uh, a regular loaf. It has about 19 slices in there. So 19, lots of 20, 380. So that's what? Everybody gets three slices and a half and leftovers. But, of course, that just shows my ignorance because actually the measurement of the loaf in those days is very different. You see, one loaf is actually about, says here, eight inches. Eight inches, what's that? Eight inches in in diameter and an inch thick. That's one loaf. So if that's one loaf, then 20 of those is probably only enough to feed like the average 10 people or two Pacific Islanders, depending how you want to measure it. (laughs) Well, Elisha, the man of God, tells him to hand out the bread because God will make sure there is plenty. What happens? He hands out the bread and everyone eats and there's leftovers. You see, and as we shift from story to story within chapter 4, it seems like Elisha is just going on a miracle spree here. Now, if you remember back to chapter 2, chapter 2 verse 9, just before Elijah is taken up, Elisha asked him for a double portion of his spirit. And so now here, one and a half chapters later, there's this exponential increase in all of these miracles. Well, as we turn into our main story for today, we see more amazing things unfold in another of Elisha's encounters. So point one in our outline, point one, faith in action. So we're picking it up from verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. Now, Shunem is a small town in Israel, which lies between Samaria and uh, Mount Carmel. There should be a map up there. Now, in chapter 2, verse 25, this route from Samaria to Mount Carmel is one that Elisha frequently took. And so in order for him to make this journey, he would have to swing through Shunem. And so in Shunem, this prominent woman, this wealthy woman, would always invite him to stop by and eat. Right? But her hospitality doesn't stop there. You see, she actually decided to turn her place into an Airbnb just for Elisha. Right? So look with me, verse 9. Verse 9, she says to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. So let's make a small room upstairs and put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp there for him. Whenever he comes, he can stay there. Right? I mean, we're looking at an Airbnb super host here. 
and she's providing food, accommodation. But the thing is, remember, she is in Israel. Israel at this time is a land that has turned its back on God. Israel is a land of pagan worshippers. But this Shunammite woman, she not only acknowledges Elisha as God's holy man, but she goes out of her way, uses her wealth in generosity and hospitality to serve God by accommodating Elisha. And I think it's a wonderful picture of, of how God's people can use the means that they have in a way that brings glory to him. Now, of course, I'm not telling you to go set up your spare rooms or cook a warm meal for every time Troy and Josh drive past you so that you invite them in, as nice as that would be. But it's just helpful for us to think about. Now, how can we use the gifts that God has given us to serve him? You'll notice, of course, with the church announcement that Josh just made as well, with the giving announcement, that's the only announcement that makes it into our announcements every week. Not because we're some money-hungry church, but because we always want to be encouraging one another to prayerfully consider how we might use our wealth and the gift that God has given us for the work of his kingdom. But back to our story. After one of his routine trips passing through Shunem, Elisha wants to bless the Shunammite woman for her generosity. So in verse 13, he calls his servant Gehazi, this is the first time we meet him, to pass on this message. From verse 13, say to her, Look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I am living among my own people. And this is how we know that the Shunammite woman doesn't have ulterior motives in her hospitality. She's just saying, no, I'm at home here. I don't need anything here. I don't need anything from the king or from the commander. I have what I need. But Gehazi, he picks up on the one thing that she doesn't have from the middle of verse 14. Well, she has no son and her husband is old. I love how Gehazi just throws that last little bit in. Yeah, uh, she has no son, and this old man husband's not going to provide any of that for him, for her. And so Elisha sends for her again, and he makes a prophecy. Verse 16, in this prophecy, verse 16, he says, At this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. Then she said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not deceive your servant. You see, her hope of having a child had probably dissipated years ago. And back in the ancient world, there was a huge stigma attached to barrenness. But for the Shunammite woman to think that she will now be blessed with a son, her very own son, it just seems too good to be true. Then at the, time, at the same time the following year, a son is born to her, just as Elisha had promised. But the story then takes the horrifying twist as we get to point two on our outline. Faith in adversity. You see, as the child grows, this promised joy turns into a parent's worst nightmare. Read with me from verse 18. That the child one day went out to his father and the harvesters. Suddenly he complained to his father, My head! My head! His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. So he picked him up and took him to his mother. The child sat on her lap until noon and then died. It's a, 
It's the chilling turn of events. You see, the child that she had so longed for on her lap in agonizing pain. You can almost picture her totally feeling helpless, not too sure what to do. She's cradling him, trying to settle him, stroking his head, helplessly watching as his energy fades, his breathing wanes, and gently but gradually his eyelids shut. Then he's gone. It's a horrific image. You see, in life there can be moments of overwhelming highs. And there can be moments of gut-wrenching, heartbreaking lows. And so how do we respond in those awfully low moments? Well, in our story here, there's something particularly striking about how the Shunammite woman responds. So in verse 21, verse 21 it says, Then she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut him in, and left. Sort of leaves you asking, what's going on here? It, it doesn't look like she's preparing for a burial. Well, instead, she leaves her son on the man of God's bed and sets out to Mount Carmel. Her husband, obviously unaware that their, that their son has actually died, asks her why she's going to Elisha, and she responds, end of verse 23, everything is all right. Now, as she draws near Mount Carmel in verse 25, Elisha sees her the end of verse 25, he said to Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite woman. Run out to meet her and ask, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? And so when Gehazi gets to her, she gives the same response as she gave her husband. There at the end of verse 26, everything is all right. You know how when, sometimes when kids hurt themselves, there's like this delay before they start crying? Like they, like, for example, if they fall and then they get up, they're sort of brushing off and then they look for mom and dad, then they start crying. Right? They start to them crying. I, I feel like that's kind of what's happening here. Right? It's only once the Shunammite woman reaches Elisha at the mountain that the reality of her sorrow is revealed. She falls at his feet. And verse 27, Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in severe anguish, and the Lord has hidden it from me. See, Elisha is showing a deep concern for her. Although he is the man of God, Elisha, like the rest of us, is still human. He will only be able to understand or do what God will allow him to understand or do. And so Elisha first sends Gehazi, sends him ahead to Shunem with the instruction to place Elisha's staff on the boy's face. And as Gehazi heads off, the Shunammite woman doesn't leave with him. Instead, in verse 30, she says to Elisha from verse 30, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So Elisha got up and followed her. You see, she doesn't want to leave unless the man of God is with her. And what we see with the mother here is this interesting mix of like contentment and like, like holy frustration, if, if, the, if that makes sense. It's, it's sort of saying that she's, she's saying that in my soul, everything is all right, but in my world, everything is not all right. And because I've just lost my son, my one and only son. So she's sort of juggling these emotions, trying to make sense of the reality of the situation. 
You know, sometimes, especially for us men, we, we feel like we have to be so stoic with our emotions. I mean, it's okay to show emotions and to cry out when we're facing real difficulties in life. Our story here is a real, raw picture of the fact that having faith in God does not mean that we are exempt from the trials and tribulations of the world. But the question is, will you hang on to God like the Shunammite woman is hanging on to the man of God? And so as we get back into the story, Gehazi makes it to Shunam first, places the staff in the boy's face, and from the middle of verse 31, there was no sound or sign of life. Nothing. So Gehazi picks up the staff, goes back to Elisha, who is already on his way with the mother, and he tells him, he basically tells him, look, the, the staff trick didn't work. And so as Elisha arrives, he finds the boy dead on the bed, and verse 33, went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Okay? Interesting how that's the first thing that he prays to the Lord, praying that God in his mercy might raise this boy up. After he prays, then he went up and lay on the boy. He put mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. While he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. It's such a, such a bizarre method of raising someone from the dead, but when we think about it, remembering back to 1 Kings 17, Elijah did the same thing. He did the same thing to bring back to life the son of the widow. First, Elijah prays, asking that God might raise the boy. And then, so this is 1 Kings chapter 17, 21. Then Elijah stretched himself out over the boy three times. And then in verse 22, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. So Elisha is following the precedence of his master's actions. By faith, he's copying his master in the hope that this boy might be raised to life. But it only warms the boy's body. And then verse 35, Elisha got up, went into the house and paced back and forth. Then he went up and bent down over him again. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And so here, as the boy is raised to life, the Shunammite woman, in verse 37, in thankfulness she came, fell at Elisha's feet and bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and left. And so as we try and wrestle and think about what, how to make sense of this, it brings us to our final point on the outline, faith in the Almighty. There are a lot of things that we can take from the passage, but I think there are two in particular that I would like for us to, to sort of consider. And the first one, so faith in the Almighty brings us comfort. Brings us comfort. Throughout this chapter, God is doing incredible, incredible miraculous work through Elisha. In all four stories, in all, in all those miracles as well, miracles that bring comfort to those who turn to him. It's a stark contrast to the previous chapters where we see kings of Israel time and time again refusing to turn to God and reaping the consequences of their unfaithfulness. But for the Shunammite woman, God reverse, reverses the seemingly irreversible. He shows that he has deep compassion and mercy for those who seek his delivering power. And so for us, as Christians, he cares for you. Uh, he's not just a God of the big moments. 
just the God of do, doing great spectacle things out there. No, he's a very personal God. He gets close and personal with just ordinary people like you and me. In the New Testament, we are reminded in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean everything will be smooth sailing. It doesn't mean things will go the way that we want them to go. But to be able to do it as a community, Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he encourages us that as we get comforted by God, that we too should therefore go and comfort others who are in affliction. That we are comforted not to be comfortable, but we are comforted that we might comfort others. And the second point and final point for us to consider is confidence. Faith in the Almighty brings us confidence. As we wrap up, we're going to cut the scene here, and I want us to zoom out again. But this time, we're going to pan the camera and zoom in eight centuries into the future. Just over the hill, about six kilometers from Shunem, a small town called Nain. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus and his, his disciples are in Nain. So Luke chapter 7 from verse 12, just as Jesus neared the gate of the town, a dead man was, carried, was being carried out. He was his mother's only son. Sounds familiar, right? Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't cry. Then he came and touched the open coffin and said, young man, I tell you, get up. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. You see, as great as Elisha is, he is but a shadow of the one to come. When we think of Elisha's name, Elisha, God is salvation. Jesus, Yahweh, will save Yes, Elisha is the man of God, but Jesus is God in the flesh. Yes, Elisha feeds 100 people. Jesus feeds 5,000, 4,000. Yes, Elisha takes three attempts before the boy awakes. Jesus speaks once. And this is what we've covered in the book of Hebrews as well when we did our Hebrews series, that Jesus is the greater than. Jesus is the greater Abraham. He's the greater Moses. And so as God's children on this side of the resurrection. This is why, even when it feels like the world might be caving in, we can have confidence to say, like the Shunammite woman, everything is all right. Because God has secured salvation for us through his son Jesus. So take comfort and be confident and hold on to the faith that you have in God the Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you sent him to uh, walk among sinners and to be in personal relationship with people and to ultimately die uh, for us and to rise, therefore conquering sin and enabling us to cross over and be in relationship with you. We pray, Father, that as we consider this, that it will be something we do not take for granted um, and that it will be the motivating factor in how we live our lives um, in its fullness to your glory in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.